Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. Well, HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. So start saving with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, I'm disturbed by the growing trend toward authoritarian government and thinking, uh, we don't need a constitution. We need we need somebody strong that does the right thing. And this is a bipartisan problem, as you're about to learn. Of course, if you take in corporate media, it's only... Trump and Trump fans that are authoritarians or want to do away with democracy or whatever. So this was a survey done in the United States. This was actually tweeted out by, dang it, did I grab his name? Because I thought I remembered. Oh, David Shore. We've talked a lot about about him in recent weeks. He's a brainiac guru, political science dude who is a Democrat and wants to get Democrats elected, but has been releasing a whole bunch of information uh, in recent months, it's pretty damned interesting. He is n- n- not for the woke crowd, I would say. And, um, oh, I don't want to get off on him. It's interesting on its own. But So he w- he tweeted this out yesterday, talking about the, the growing love of authoritarian governments. And the, the question posed in this survey was, I'm going to describe various types of political systems and ask what you think about each as a way of governing this country. For each one... Would you say it is a very good, fairly good, fairly bad, or very uh, bad way of governing the country? And this particular question was, 
having a strong leader who does not have to bother with Congress and elections. As a system of government, would you say that's very good, fairly good, fairly bad, very bad in terms of governing the country? Again, I want to make sure everybody understands this. And the statement was, having a strong leader who does not have to bother with Congress and elections. Is one of the choices so effing bad I can't even convey to you how bad it is? Well, for somebody of your age and education, it's more likely that you would say that. As education goes up and um, age goes up, it's more likely that you think that's a terrible idea. But let me tell you, for the general population that has a high school degree, 17% very good, 37% fairly good, for a total of 55%? Uh Uh-oh. Who think that's very good or fairly good to have somebody in charge who doesn't have to check with anybody else. They just get to do what they want. The majority. Uh, I'm reminded of the, the truism that we don't have a democracy, we have a constitutional republic, the idea of the Constitution to protect you from the majority. For less than a high school education, and I don't know how many voters have less than a high school education, but for that crowd, um, it is 61% very good or fairly good idea. Some college, it's still at 36%, and then it goes down quite a bit as you get up to advanced degrees. Then for, uh, if you break it down by color, it's pretty interesting. There's a lot more non-white people that like that idea than white people. Hmm. As a matter of fact, if you look at less than a high school degree for the non-white crowd, it's 22% very good, 43% fairly good. Wow. So two-thirds... Think, yeah, and again, let me read that statement in case you weren't paying attention. Having a strong leader who does not have to bother with Congress and elections. So not you know, they don't even have to be elected anymore. You just get to stay in power, I guess, and do whatever you want. I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how people are interpreting that. Hammer through whatever laws you see fit and enforce them. Now, it drops off for the, for the non-white crowd and the white crowd. It drops off a lot as you go up in education. But it's, that's pretty damn troubling. Yeah, I would like to slice and dice those numbers further if I had the raw data. I mean, I'm curious, uh, to what extent are the non-white people, so-called, who um, are soft on totalitarianism, are they from systems like that? It's what they're used to. How many are Venezuelans, uh, for instance? A lot of people flee in Venezuela, and yeah, they might think the strong man is kind of an effective way to go, because they're not, they're not hip to the way a constitutional republic like ours w- works and why it's so great, even as it's so frustrating. Yeah, so again, the, less, the high, school, high school education or less, it is majority win for that kind of government. And for uh, non-white high school or less, it's easy majority win. It's two-thirds. And you've got a number of people who are very educated out there in the Twitter world or on talk radio in some cases. They're very educated people who are also saying on the right and the left, this whole Constitution's getting in the way. Uh, the other side is abusing it. They're not following the rules, so no more Constitution. Well, saying the Constitution's getting in the way, we don't need to follow that anymore, is basically that kind of government, isn't it? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure. I think there are a couple of things that work here. Tell me if you buy these. All right, number one, the frustrations of our system are, are apparent, and our, our awful politics, our crappy politics. Um, and so I get people yearning for something simpler and more effective. They haven't heard Churchill's famous saying that democracy is the worst form of government except all others that have ever been tried. I was about uh, to bring that up, and you kind of you yada, yada, yada it a little bit. I was just thinking... They sh- that should be an in- that should be said at the beginning of every high school course. I don't care yeah. if it's gym class or art class. Everybody <laughs> should know that. And if anybody does, anybody not understand that? Okay, we've got a special class uh, after school where we can explain that to you because everybody should understand that it's been tried all these other ways and they're a disaster. You end up in prison or dead. Right, exactly, by the millions, by the tens of millions, exactly. So yeah, I mean that that's uh, the first part of it and. Uh, frankly, you have to be exposed to a certain number of ideas to start to be able to compare them, uh, particularly politically. Um, and that doesn't take a formal education. I mean, Lincoln famously, uh, you know, educating himself. Uh, the second thing that's going on is as you look at those numbers, that's a hell of a lot of people um, who are a ready market for being told, you're right, we need a strong man. You're right. And you can sell a lot of commercials and T-shirts and, and bumper stickers and hats or whatever to those people if you if you pander to their worst impulses or their ignorance. So you have a lot of that in in cable news and talk radio, whatever. So what what would what would cause the non-white numbers to be so high? The perception that because um, you look at a house, well, that doesn't work. What? Remember, we did this a couple of weeks ago where they'd broken down average household incomes by all the different. Um, ethnicity, skin color, whatever you want to call it. And at the very top, it was Asians, Indians, a bunch of different groups before you got down to just plain white. But mm-hmm. the overall narrative that people of color make less money, so is that just then, okay, so then I want a strong man or woman who doesn't have to answer to anybody and doesn't have to go through elections? Somehow that's going to make things more fair? For the non-white crowd, even when you get up to some college, didn't graduate college, but have some college, it's 42% think it's a very good or fairly good idea to have somebody that doesn't need to be elected and doesn't need to answer to the people. Yeah, well, as usual, slicing and dicing by race or color, excuse me, skin color is just so unhelpful. I mean, because I mentioned Venezuelan people, uh, and maybe they're sympathetic to the strongman. Maybe they're the opposite. I have a handful of friends who are from Cuban-American families uh, with various uh, ones of first generation, ones of second generation, uh, and on. They are militantly pro-American, militantly pro-Constitution, and militantly anti-communist, anti-strongman. So how do they compare with a Mexican to a Venezuelan to a Spaniard to an El Salvadoran? I mean, it's utterly unhelpful. Black people, are they immigrants from Africa? Are they uh, uh, African-Americans who grew up here? They're four generations deep. I just I don't find those numbers very helpful. I just think it's 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 kind of interesting, but you can't parse it. Oh, I remember that uh, that that list of ethnicities and household income, and it broke it down to um, to Japanese American, uh, Indian American, Chinese American, Korean American, uh, you know, Sri Lankan American, just on and on and on. And there's just so many differences. I mean, eh, I, I think the thing you really need to concentrate on is, wow, we have a hell of a lot of people living in this country who 
don't understand the horrors of totalitarianism, and we probably ought to quit being so lazy about explaining the joys of liberty and start educating our kids. Of course, there's no time to educate them on that because they're educated that boys are girls and girls are boys and all white people are evil. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Joe Getty. I want a personal privilege. Don't get brazen with me. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So, Tim Sandifer, friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show, uh, and um, an out and proud, will talk to you about it for an hour if you ask him. Atheist retweeted this from a guy named Ron Lindsay, who uh, uh, is a philosopher, lawyer, atheist himself. This guy uh, wrote, major drop in Bible reading in the U.S., and he quotes something that I'll read from in a second. A few years ago, I would have cheered this unqualifiedly, a drop in Bible reading. Now I think many will just substitute some other texts as unimpeachable sources of wisdom, like how to be an anti-racist or the mutterings of Q. And that gets to this idea that human beings are built to believe in some sort of higher power, and it would seem that some people are substituting their, um, what would have traditionally been, you know, one of your Muslim, Jewish, Christian gods, God, there's only one, um, uh, for some of these uh, climate change or anti-racism or whatever the hell. They we're just we're built to believe in some sort of cause like that, and people have adopted this stuff, and it's not going necessarily the direction a lot of atheists might have thought. I thought that was an interesting thing from a guy. I would have cheered this years ago. Now I think people are going to substitute crap for it. I congratulate him on his newly acquired wisdom to go with his obvious intelligence. They're different things. Yeah, he's referring to this American Bible Society survey that found an unprecedented drop in Bible reading. I would need to see several years of data before I'd be willing to believe that all of a sudden in one year, 15% less people are reading the Bible on a regular basis. I just find that hard to believe. Agreed, yeah. Um, And there's all kinds of outliers and stats on that. But it gets into the percentage of people that read the Bible on a regular basis. After reaching a high of 53% in 2014, the share of Bible users among the U.S. population has remained steady between 48% and 51%. I bring that up mostly to think, would you gather from taking in all of mainstream media and our politics that half of Americans are regular Bible readers? Oh, absolutely not. Of course not. No, it's a weird little uh, cabal of 12% of us, maybe. Yeah, and 10% 10 of the weirdos in America do it. Not half of Americans, or over half at various Mm -hmm. times over the last decade. Now, this claims it's dropped in just the last year to like 38%. And again, I find a a drop that large all of a sudden to be hard to imagine. But it reminds me of a YouTube video I saw the other day with Jordan Peterson on it. He's the clinical psychologist. Joe Rogan kind of made him famous on his podcast. And now, you know, watch his videos if you want. Any utterings of Jordan Peterson, 5 million people watch in the first hour. He's one of those guys. Mm-hmm. But he was talking about the way biblical wisdom has been presented to people over the years or or the way we receive it or whatever. And I was thinking about in, 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 in my youth or even rules from your parents, even if it's not coming from your church, if it's just coming from your parents, 
I need to do a better job of a parent. This is why it struck me to make it clear the reasons behind some of the rules that you lay out. It's very easy to come out of the world of religion thinking you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. They've got all these rules, and it's it's just like you know rules for a club. Like you have to wear a red hat, and you're not allowed to paint your mailbox brown, or any of these you know arbitrary things that people come up with. No, the reason for this is your marriage will be better. You're less likely to uh, to, to 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 die. You're more likely to have a promising career. I mean, that's the reasons for it, and. And I, I do think that a lot of morality is is put upon us in a way that it just seems like they're kind of arbitrary rules to see if we'll follow rules as opposed to, no, 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 the reason we're telling you this is your life will be better if you do this. Yeah, I would agree. I think sometimes it's a, there's a bit of the because I told you so uh, behind the rules that are actually the accumulated wisdom of the entire history of mankind. Exactly, exactly. The wisdom books or proverbs are just like, do all these things and your life will turn out better, more likely than not. It's not. And, and the lives of those around you as well. You know, for instance, the laws on marital morality and the rest of it have to do with your children to sure. a large extent. I know not every marriage produces children these days. But, but if you want to look at, uh, look at it as don't do it because it'll make God unhappy, okay, you can, but it also will just make your life better if you don't cheat on your spouse, if you. You know, if you're if you're if you're kind to people, if you, uh, you know, get a job and support yourself, all these different things. I wonder if there's any way we could change the, the, the way we talk about various rules. You know, it's the thing that we over we, we regularly mention that whatever they are, uh, don't have a baby until you're married. Um, you know, graduate finish high school, finish right, high yeah. school, just those three things. They're not because they please God. It's because your life is way more likely to turn out OK if you do those things. Mm-hmm. And there th- seems to be a real hesitation to do that sort of uh, explaining in the modern world. I mean, shouldn't those rules about how to have a happy and non-miserable life be on everybody's lips all the time in America? You would think so. And yet they're not. I think I guess it's seen as, you know, telling people what to do or. No, no. Just, Finish high just, school, get married before you have a kid, and uh, what's the other one? I can't remember. Don't take any wooden nickel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I uh, remember what I gave myself for my birthday? For my birthday, I gave myself transcendental meditation. Well, that's right, yeah. So uh, it's something, the, uh, you, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do anything, but I signed up for a transcendental meditation clinic or camper i don't know whatever you'd call it anyway i'm doing it four days in a row because of covid some of it is zoom instead of in person like it normally is um but i'm about halfway through it and i started it over the weekend and so far it's a pretty promising result i gotta say i've not had any success with meditation in the past in my life i've found it to be a miserable experience like Hmm. miserable experience and that's uh, one of the things that people like about transcendental meditation. And I think I mentioned this that I got onto it. Check out the video of Jerry Seinfeld talking about it. He was interviewed for about it for an hour. He's been doing it for forty years. Wow! And swears by it. And uh, and I have a number of friends, like people I actually know, who swear by it too. Who do it regularly. And I thought I'll check it out. And so far, at least at least it's it's easy. It's effortless and it's not miserable like other meditation has been for me in the past. But is it transcendent? Well, that's what you're hoping for, right? Mm. I'm only halfway through the clinic. How would I know yet? I'll tell you when I know. Armstrong and Getty. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Yes. When those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> you're here. You're here already. No. no we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. The day. That's we the didn't problem. realize it until we uh, started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh, my God. You were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. We were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and <laughs> didn't realize well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how oh. lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Chewing in and out of depression. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It's a pleasure to welcome the Armstrong and Getty Show Admiral James Stavridis, who spent more than 30 years in the U.S. Navy, rose to the rank of four-star admiral, became Supreme Allied Commander at NATO, and has a brand new book to risk it all, Nine Conflicts in the Crucible of Decision. Admiral, welcome. How are you, sir? Doing wonderfully. Thanks for having me on to both of you, Jack and Joe. Yeah, thank you. I'm sure you've got better sources than us for information. Where do things stand right now with the Russia-Ukraine situation? 
I would say we are at a pivotal moment. And what I mean by that is Vladimir Putin's plan A, which was to sweep across this entire vast country the size of Texas and simply conquer it, that has failed. It's failed utterly. There's no way he can reconstitute plan A. So the pivotal moment is now he has moved to plan B, which is to pack his forces into the southeast corner of the country try and create uh, a greater critical mass of combat capability. And he's now throwing that at the Ukrainians. Um, They are making progress slowly, they, the Russians. But uh, we in the West are continuing to give the Ukrainians the weapon systems they need. I think ultimately they will be able to uh, halt the Russian advance. We'll know more over the next couple of months, pivotal moment in the battle. How how do, does each side stand in terms of reserve personnel, equipment, uh, ability to endure over the longer term? Yeah, this is a marvelous question. We should probably get you into the Pentagon as a planner. That's the right thing to be asking <laughs> right now. And uh, I'll put it this way. Russia is just a much bigger country. Its population is three times the size. Um, They have a very capable military, although they've not done uh, as well as many expected they would against the Ukrainians. On the other hand, the Ukrainians, while they have a smaller population, are utterly devoted to the task, if you will. And, you know, the title of the book you mentioned, thank you, is to risk it all for the Ukrainians. They are risking it all when they look over their shoulders from those front lines. Who do they see behind them? They see their wives, their children, their elders, their parents, their cities, their civilization, their language. All of that is on the line. So even though they're smaller, they don't have the reserves to draw on. They'll get support from the West. And my money is on the Ukrainians, ultimately. Interesting. Um, We have uh, used your quote many times, you saying that uh, um, something along the line that uh, logistics eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> um, you know, the, the 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 supply chain and all that sort of stuff is really what matters. I gotta believe the Ukrainian side has practically an endless supply coming from us and NATO, right? They really do at this point, and they also have that logistics expertise that the United States has built up over decades of combat operations on the Russian side particularly at the beginning of this invasion, they were stretched very thin across the north and the eastern parts of Ukraine. That problem's gotten better for the Russians. Why? Because they're in a much smaller area to the south now. But it's still quite challenging, and the Russians have not demonstrated good logistics. And yes, uh, logistics eat strategy, I'll say for lunch, but, you know, probably for breakfast, too. (laughs) Um, As a former NATO commander, where have you been on this whole thing of are we supplying the Ukrainians the right amount, too little, too much? Are we risking the war becoming NATO versus Russia? Where where have you been on that conversation? I think we were probably a bit timid at the beginning, but we are now probably 80, 90 percent of where I would be recommending Uh, the United States be if I were still Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. And so what we are not providing them that I think we should strongly consider would be 
uh, fighter aircraft and the Poles operate uh, something called the MiG-29, which the Ukrainians know how to fly. They are flying their own MiG-29s. The Poles are willing to give those up. U.S. could backfill those with F-16s. I think that's one additional thing we should be doing. And then second and finally, we should be offering them more uh, multiple launched rocket systems, MLRSs. These are surface-to-surface missiles that can strike against uh, Russian logistics uh, supply lines. I think other than that, we've given them everything on the shopping list, and that's why they're uh, in the position they are now, as opposed to having been overrun two to three months ago. Admiral James Stavridis is on the line. We're talking about his book, To Risk It All, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decision, among other things. Uh, Admiral, what have we learned about the Russian armed forces from the private toting a rifle on the front lines up to the, the top leadership? I think we've learned three things, and none of them speak well for the Russian armed forces. First, we have learned that they, as we just discussed, they don't have the back office. They don't have the logistics. They don't seem to be able to move ammunition, food, fuel, uh, electricity, lighting, medical. They just don't seem to be able to put all that together and move it forward. Secondly, uh, as you mentioned, the private on the front lines, what we've seen is their extreme unprofessionalism, many of them conscripts. They don't seem to know what they're fighting for. They're committing war crimes, rape, looting, pillage, murder. These are realities. We have videos galore of them simply turning into ninth century uh, barbarians in the battlefield. That's not what a professional military does. And third, um, the generals are not performing very well. And, you know, I get it. There's nothing that uh, admirals like better than criticizing generals, right? <laughs> but uh, these generals uh, have generated, thankfully, I suppose, a terrible battle plan. Um, it's not coherent. It's not organized. They're not succeeding, despite the fact that they outnumber the Ukrainians so significantly. So uh, we have discovered the Russians are not 10 feet tall. They're not eight feet tall. They're probably not even five feet tall in terms of their combat capability. So you, um, uh, last segment, we were talking about the lack of professionalism of the Russian military and the rapage, raping, pillaging, and plundering that they do. But we knew that. We'd seen them do that in Syria, and, and heck, they did it 100 years ago under Stalin to the same people in Ukraine. That is, for some reason, part of their culture. But uh, So that n- is not surprising to Putin, probably. But do you think Putin himself was surprised by the supply chain problems and just you know, lack of strategy and stuff like that? Do you think he's as shocked as the rest of the world? I do. I think he was handed effectively a bill of goods by his senior military officers, and uh, they have failed him. And, uh, you know, thank God uh, that they have failed. But I think without question, Putin felt his army was going to easily roll over the entire country. And so he was willing to risk you know, to risk it all, like the the book we're talking about, he's capable of rolling those dice. Um, and he's he's on the reckless side of things. Interesting. Let's uh, let's turn homeward uh, halfway first and then uh, all the way to the United States military. But what's your current assessment of NATO, its strengths, the way it's changed over the course of the last year in particular? Um, let's do the numbers. So um, the 
combined defense budget of NATO is $900 billion. Uh, The majority of that, of course, is the United States. But collectively, the European defense budget is the second largest budget in the world, well ahead of China and Russia combined. So it's a resource-rich alliance. We have 3 million men and women under arms. Almost all uh, are volunteers. Only less than a million of those, by the way, are from the United States. Um, The 2 million come from the European side of the house. And then thirdly, more ships, aircraft, uh, 800 ocean-going ships, uh, 15,000 combat aircraft. Um, So it's a very strong alliance. And it's Achilles heel where it can fail is on uh, cohesion, on hanging together. But in the case of Putin's invasion of Ukraine so far, the alliance is holding together very well. All right, let's uh, let's talk about the United States military, in particular the Navy. Full disclosure, my brother is a career naval officer, active duty as we speak uh, in submarine service specifically. Um, and. And there have been a number of incidents in recent uh, years, whether ship collisions or failures of uh, training, that sort of thing. Uh, What's your assessment of the United States Navy as it stands? What does it need to do? Where does it need to go from here to remain the premier naval force on Earth? Well, first and foremost, um, we have one huge advantage, and and you'll know this knowing your uh, relative who's in the Navy, We have an ethos, we have a history, we have a long tradition stretching back through the Second World War all the way back to John Paul Jones, one of the characters I talk about in To Risk at All. Um, So that's on our side, but we don't have enough ships. And um, any reasonable analyst would tell you we need 350 to 370 warships. Today we have around 300 China has uh, about 360. China has more warships than the United States. So I think we have training and capability and our nuclear submarines are the best in the world, our powerful aircraft carriers. But um, quantity has a quality all its own. And uh, therefore, I think we need to add more ships if we're going to maintain that kind of global Navy that we need. Do you think a point of conflict, like actual kinetic conflict, is coming between us and China in the sea? I wrote a novel about a year ago, which was on the New York Times bestseller list. It's called uh, 2034, a novel of the next world war. And it's it's a cautionary tale uh, about the possibility of a kinetic conflict between the two powers. I don't think it is... Uh, the main chance, but I think that there's a significant possibility. And if it comes, it'll come in the South China Sea uh, over Taiwan, the Strait of Taiwan, and China's claims of ownership over that vast body of water. You know, we've been talking about this, the situation in the South China Sea since it began, the, the building and militarization of those islands. And it's just, it's outrageous. And it goes to show what a power can get away with if they can get away with it. Um, is there anything we could have done, should have done, can do now about China building a string of military bases and, and then claiming that as their own territory? What we need to continue to do is to challenge them. And the way to do that is to deploy our ships into this big body of water. As you know, the South China Sea is huge. It's half the size of the United States of America. It's enormous. And as you correctly point out, they've now built uh, seven 
artificial islands. And so what we need to do is sail our ships in close proximity to those islands. These are called freedom of navigation patrols. And we need to get our allies to come with us. The Brits, the French, the Indians, the Australians have all conducted these patrols with us. We need to show a unified face to China that says, no, you do not own the South China Sea. And are we not doing that? Are our allies hesitant to do that? Our allies are beginning to do more of that. And it's going to require continued pressure from the United States. Um, I think that the the degree to which we can succeed in facing China in what is, let's face it, these are their home waters. It's the South China Sea, you know, not the, not the South U.S. Sea. It's the South China Sea. Um, we're going to have to pull our allies alongside us. We've seen some patrols. I'll give you a practical example. The British sailed their brand-new, very capable aircraft carrier, the Queen Elizabeth, through those waters uh, just a few months ago. We need more of that from our allies. Hey, I want to jump back to uh, Russia real quick before we run out of time. Putin, how... Uh how rationally is he, you know, I don't know, clinical definition of crazy or whatever, but I, I can't imagine any good outcome at this point. How could he possibly think he's going to get a good outcome? So, one, like, how smart is he at strategy and being a military leader, and how rational is he, do you think? I think Putin is not crazy. I mean, this is not, you know, Mad King George with nuclear weapons. But he is angry. You are absolutely correct. He's deeply frustrated at this point. He's starting to see the walls of the room close in on him. And we would be smart to uh, keep a close eye on his stability. I don't see him reaching for the lever to the apocalypse, launching a nuclear attack. Um, He loves his country. He likes his life. But like anyone, when you Put someone in a corner, you need to be careful about um, their state of mind. So bottom line, uh, Putin is not crazy, but he's angry and frustrated and therefore unpredictable. Admiral James Stavridis' new book is To Risk It All, Nine Conflicts in the Crucible of Decision. It sounds uh, terrific, and we absolutely enjoy the conversation. I hope we can do it again. Love to, guys. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been under a lot of pressure, but the, the I think the leap from the way you feel then to crazy is pretty short. I mean, in terms of rational decision-making and everything. Oh, yeah, a rational person can make irrational decisions under the right pl- pressures. Happens yeah. all the time. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, it's 
Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. When yes. Those, when those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> you're here. You're here already. No. Uh, we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. The that's we the didn't problem. realize it until we uh, oh. started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh my God. We were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. We were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and didn't realize <laughs> well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into, right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how oh. lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I got my sexy pants on. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So I spilled a cup of coffee on a rug today. It's uh, it's not like the rug attached to the floor. What do you call the rugs that you throw out on top a rug. of hard? A rug as opposed to a carpet? An area oh, okay. rug? A throw rug? Oh, okay. So carpet is what you call the thing. Yeah, that's kind of a thing with Judy and I. We were decorating a house, and she kept calling the rugs carpets, and I kept saying, honey, it's a rug. And it got to be a sore point, so I shut my mouth. My which whole I life, probably I... should have done, folks, ladies especially, right? In the first place. <laughs> my whole life I've been calling the carpet a rug. I think. But anyway. Well, I've, a rug burns. I've referenced rug burns when it was clearly on a carpet. Maybe I should shut up. I anyway, will so, shut up. I'm at home because every babysitter's got COVID or knows somebody with COVID. Anyway, um, I got this rug on the hardwood floor. And earlier in the show, if you're listening, I knocked over a whole cup of coffee on it. And it's light tan. And I think it's ruined. Pretty cheap rug because I'm a cheap guy who buys cheap stuff, and uh, maybe it was two hundred bucks. But that ain't nothing. It cost me two hundred bucks to knock over that coffee. If you think of it that way, especially in terms of the amount of time it took me, it took me a split second to spend two hundred dollars. Well, let's be problem solvers here. Make up a pot of coffee, pour it over the rest of the rug, even it out. Duh. Come That's on. Right. And I like the smell of coffee, so the fact that it smells like Starbucks in here doesn't bother me. Perfect. I was just going to throw it out to the text line. Back in the old days, we'd have taken phone calls on this. They still do on the 80s station. <laughs> What's your most expensive mistake? I've had a few. Like, blink of an eye, you turned late and hit the side of your garage and it cost you $800. I've done that before. Now, I assume we're not going for, I started smoking when I was 16. Now I'm dying of lung cancer. Because that would be a very expensive mistake. No tragedies, right? What? <laughs> what? 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 S- oh, sh- what? Okay. Oh, 
I, I killed a man in a gang Michael. dispute, and I've been in prison ever since. That was an expensive <laughs> mistake. Right. We don't want that. No, 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 no. Like, you know, you backed over something, you knocked something over, you lost something, maybe. Anyway, sure. text line 415-295-KFTC. This doesn't even rank, I'm sure, in the top ten if I wanted to dwell on it. But oh, it's still no. maddening. Not even close. Vehicles, mostly. Backing into something, because you don't have to do much back into something you've done thousand dollars worth of damage god dang it that makes me uh, so stupid yeah i'm sorry i'm super preoccupied now and and depressed thank you for bringing that up i just keep thinking about all the stupid stuff I've done. <laughs> um 16 year old racing through town trying to beat my friend to the same destination in our car turned on a side street t-boned him in an unmarked intersection thousands and thousands of dollars both cars totaled Got a lot of people saying their marriage. That's kind of not a very fun one to discuss. How about this one? A gallon of peach paint tipped over and went all over the floor of my brand new Chevy Tahoe. Every nook and cranny under the seats with the light interior, only one week old, cost me my soul. This is why I can't have nice things. (laughs) A lot of automobile ones backing into this, hitting your mirror on the garage side door, whatever, thousands of dollars worth of damage, and took you that long. Oh, it's maddening. As a grown-up, it's so maddening. It's maddening as a kid. Armstrong and Getty. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves so we could go surfing. Oh, I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.